Thanks for dropping in today's episode of Music, the Bed of Life. I'm busting at the seams for you to hear from our special guest today, and that is Brian Chartran. Brian's been making music in Phoenix, Arizona since 2003. He has four main projects. The project, the project, that is the name of one of them. And then Live from Laurel Canyon, The Sweet Remains, and his work as a solo singer and songwriter. And I also might add a session musician to that. (laughs) I like that. I'll take it. (laughs) So let's get right to it. Brian, how are you feeling today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much, Tony. Nice to be here. That's awesome. Um, I am actually going to do something a little different than I think I normally would. You know that little piece you were just playing? Yeah. I want you to play a little bit of that so folks know exactly who we're listening to. Okay. I just happen to have a guitar here, so it's strange. Do you? That's that's beautiful. That guitar will travel. You want to... uh, you think it miss you now or, or worth the fight or no you were playing something right when i walked out to turn off the air oh my it was just some little ditty i'm not sure what you were playing i didn't recognize it i don't even know if i recognize it to be <laughs> honest <laughs> uh well i, I can play uh, how about i play uh, the the start of uh, miss you now because that's the first album on that record that that you yeah know. or that i like do. all right let's see Could you feel me think of you today? Even though I'm half a world away And I would trade ten hours with you on the phone good i could listen to the whole thing but uh because I, well, I really like that cd oh, thanks <laughs> so tell me I, where did brian chartrand come from i grew up um in a little college town about an hour and a half west of boston massachusetts um it's a little town called south hadley and there is an all-women's college in the in my town called Mount Holyoke College, and so I, you know it was it was super idyllic, you know. And I'm I'm uh, just turned uh, forty-seven, so it was like a pretty charm time, you know, riding bikes and skateboards and and um, causing a ruckus. Uh, but it, it was there was no like it was just chill. It was super chill. Everybody knew everybody. The the 
you know, the, my grade school friends, uh, everything was small, you know? Um, and yeah, I grew up, <clears throat> grew up with two older brothers and, uh, and in, with, that had various interests in music. Uh, my middle brother was really active with music and was a guitar player and, and, a, and a singer. And so that was inspiring to me. And there was music in the house and there were Beatles records and, John Denver records and, and, um, you know, the benefit I think of having siblings that, you know, my, my middle brother is six years older than me. My oldest brother is 10 years older than me. So there was a lot of different music in the house, yeah. different than what my parents brought to the table. So it was, you know, it was, it was fun, man. You know, so, so what age were you at that point when you had the brothers music? In your in your ear, <clears throat> well, I, I would say I don't I I can't tell you, but I I gotta tell you one of the first memories of my life was just making up songs and singing songs and and idolizing. You idolize your brothers. You 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 don't know what music is, but you know it, that it affects you. And and <clears throat> that was my journey. That from a very early age. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to play the drums. And so in fourth grade, they lead you into the room where, you know, <laughs> there's a girl over there with drumsticks. There's a guy with a saxophone and someone with a trombone. And I went right to the drums and there were no drums. So they just gave me two sticks and we started banging on the radiator <laughs> in the classroom. And even then I was like, this is it, man. Like, <laughs> I found it, you know, and then to be able to go home and be exposed to all this incredible music, you know, everything literally from, as I said, the, you know, Beatles and John Denver and my folks loved Johnny Mathis. And then my middle brother was like Kiss. And then my oldest brother was like uh, Sticks and Foreigner. <laughs> I mean, so it was like, holy moly, there's so much going on. And so much, so much, you know, if I don't need a drum, I just need two sticks. I'll bang on anything. anything. So yeah. it was the same, it was the same thing. Just Tupperware out, you know, and then they gave me a drum and then it was like, okay. And then I'm marching up and down the hallway playing the drums. And then even to this day, I, I'm like, my parents were angels because I was a terror. Right. You know? Yeah. I, 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 I really, really, really understand what you're talking about because I had that same growth in, mm -hmm. in school, fourth grade, doing yeah. all that. But the thing that's really funny is the sticks. Yeah. Cause I used to play on an old big round scotch cooler that they never, I never saw them use it. Right. It, it was my drum. So <laughs> once right. I had it, they didn't right. see it again. Right. Exactly. But you see what I ended up with. Right. But right. I do play drums, but, um, isn't it funny? There must be something, there just must be something like primal. It's the rhythm. To connecting with that. And under, you know, basic uh, rhythms, I would say, maybe are the first thing to come to you as a musician. I, I, I don't know, you know, but it just, it felt easy. It was natural. I understood it on a level, mm -hmm. right? And then you, you progress and you say, well, I need a melodic element to whatever, to, you know. So it's, it, but it is interesting. So many friends of mine who are no longer play the drums, they, they, they connect with that instrument because it is just so primal. It's, mm -hmm. it's one, you know, banging one, two, three, four, like it's, everyone can do it. Right. You know, yeah. and I, and I, it's a great gateway drug 
to <laughs> every other instrument. <laughs> you know, I don't know. That's so true. Uh, I, I, you alluded to something that uh, really strikes the title of the podcast, which is Music, the Bed of Life, when you're talking about you, you knew you were listening to music, you knew... But you didn't know what you were listening to. You didn't know what you heard. You didn't know what it was. And I'm going to go back to when your parents were playing music. Do you even know what it was that they were playing? Did you know you do you know any inkling of when you started hearing music in the house, let's say? Well, I mean, you know, I, I remember those records on the floor of the family room and we had a little turntable and, we, you know, my, my folks, they, you know, my, they sang in church, you know, but <clears throat> they would say <clears throat> poorly and I might agree with them, but they, they weren't musicians kind of naturally. I, my father, you know, played uh, trumpet, you know, in, uh, in high school, but it wasn't a, it them making music wasn't a big thing, but music for the kids was a big thing. And I mean, I mean, I remember being mes. I mean, as soon as I found that Beatles record, mm. that's when I came online and I didn't know what it was. I didn't know why I loved it. I didn't, I couldn't break it down in that way. Uh, but from that moment, I was like, whatever that is, I want that. You know, mm -hmm. and then it moved, you know, obviously it moves as you get a little bit older and you refine your own interests. And maybe you realize that maybe Kiss isn't my favorite <laughs> band. What is my favorite band? And then you listen to the radio and 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 Purple Rain is on the radio. And you think, holy moly, what is that mm -hmm. now? And then the first time you hear kind of blue Miles Davis, you're like, well, all right, stop the <laughs> stop it. What is happening? You know, so there's these these milestones in my life um, where it just got you know, re-energized. It, it was, yes, the moment of awareness of what is a record? You put it here and you put the needle here and you sit and you enjoy it. And when you're done, you flip it, hmm. you know. And then from that moment on, that's all I thought about. That's all I wanted. And I wanted to consume, I wanted to consume as much music as I possibly could. There was not a moment in those early, you know, let's say late, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, early 13, 14, like that's every, that was everything. There wasn't a moment that I wasn't consuming something new as far as, you know, and there was so much to choose from it. That, right. You know, you turn the radio on, you hear a thousand different things. You have brothers that, that their tastes are evolving. So you're just constantly inundated with an incredible array. And I wanted it all, you know, I mean, <laughs> a queen, to in Prince and and then my brother introduced me to jazz and I was like what is this I want to be a jazz drummer <laughs> you know and and so all these different movements but it was that was the th that was it man that was the thread and and it started early and it's stayed, stayed. late <laughs> yeah yeah I um I, I get that boy do I get that I I'm just curious um something in all of that because I I had that same progression as well. Because I've got neighbor friends that had their music. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we used to swap 45s because mm -hmm. I didn't really pick up Beatles stuff. But they had Beatles stuff. Mm -hmm. And I had stuff that they wanted. So, you know, we yeah. were swapping 45s. I love that. And I'm just curious, what was there anything in there that actually said, hey, now I want to play guitar. And hey, I want to play this type of music. Because you mm -hmm. definitely have a type of music. Mm -hmm. 
Well, so I went, I went through, I went through playing drums. Started in 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 fourth grade, and and you know did the band, the high school band thing, the grade school band thing, concert band. Then you get into high school, you're doing marching band, jazz band, you know. So I I really I I was all in on drums, and then at some point, I think maybe it was um, sixth grade or fifth grade. My mother thought it was important that I learn some piano, <laughs> and I took uh, two or three years. Uh, there was a woman that lived down the street, um, and um, she had a nice little studio. Now that I'm thinking back on it, like that was a nice crib. <laughs> you go down, you know, a separate pathway to the downstairs, nice grand piano. Like it was pretty killing. Now that I think about, it. I was like, hmm, she did all right. Uh, <clears throat> but I, I. Um, did not enjoy people telling me well first of all I didn't want to read music they would put the sheet music in front of me and I could you know stumble through it um, but I but I was more um, interested in improvisation and I didn't know how to do I didn't know the mechanics of it and so they were not only telling me what to do but asking me to play um, music that wasn't inspiring to me at that time mm-hmm. it was a lot of classical stuff Bella Bartok and I mean, but, yeah. and then I finally convinced her I said hey what about Scott Joplin you know so now mm-hmm. we're getting into some ragtime and I'm like I, I love the syncopation because I was a drummer I understood that yeah. but I still like refused to read you know and she'd get very frustrated with me and I was frustrated with her because I was like listen I enjoy this <laughs> I enjoy this instrument but quit telling me what to do let me just have fun with it and I hated practicing, and, and I went back to the drums, and I was like, all right, I'm a, I'm a drummer now. And then you start a band in high school, just like everybody else, and I was like, well, who sings? You know, and well, I, I, I don't know. I, you know, you raise your hand. You'd be like, but you can't be a singing drummer, you know? <laughs> so, all right, well, all right, my buddy, I'll have my buddy Ethan play the drums. I'm going to go sing now. You know, anyway, so it's it, it's it's a comedy of errors. It's I mean, for me at least, and I there was a guitar in the house because my middle brother played the guitar, and mm-hmm. and I would steal it from him when he left because he would pummel me into the ground if if he knew that I was playing his guitar. <laughs> <clears throat> so it was like this, uh, you know, just a little bit of everything, and and figuring out what was working and what wasn't working, and I, the reason why. Um, I picked up the guitar ultimately was a no one was telling me how to play it so I could my form is terrible and how I finger pick is wrong and everything but no one told me that I I just got to explore it and and um, find it for my own purposes Mm -hmm. Um, and then I after high school I um, I did an exchange year in Germany and, I, and you can't bring a drum set and you and I was I'm not taking a piano I hate the piano so I took a guitar and that's really when I whatever quote unquote got serious about the guitar and it was basically just understanding how chords worked I don't, I don't know any theory I don't know anything from anything but I had a chord book and that's all I did I just learned chords and mm-hmm. I thought well this chord works cool with this chord I don't know why but that was that was really it and then you know, melodically, James Taylor is a big influence, um, and and I feel like I've been ripping him off for for thirty <laughs> years or so. Yeah, it was it, it was it's a comedy of errors, and I was throwing everything at the wall and and trying everything, and and ultimately there 
you know, there's power, uh, or maybe not power, but I, I felt like I could deliver what, what I was thinking and what I was feeling through a guitar, through my voice. And I, then I started writing, you know, and then it's like, great. <laughs> Welcome to the rest of your life, you know, in a beautiful way. I was going to say, it's not so bad. No, it's not so bad. <laughs> it's not so bad, especially with uh, the personnel that you have in some of these projects. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Very fortunate. Um, okay, picture this. You know how we had music all around all the time, or at least so we think, mm-hmm. right? What do you think about the people who say, oh, I don't listen to music. Oh, that was nice. <laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's use it. We'll sample it. We'll make a song. Songs for millions. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting right there. So I'm sorry, the people who who don't... So, so there's people out there, like for instance, you ask them, uh, what kind of music do you like to listen to? I don't really listen to music. Right. It's like, you don't listen to music? Right. How do you not listen to music? And and this is the angle that I try and get at, that music is always around, whether you know it or not, whether you listen to it or not. Mm-hmm. It is the bed of life. Mm-hmm. It's always there. I, I will just make one comment, and that is, the radio isn't a thing anymore. So you could be in a car, which is where I would experience a lot of music, or at home, mm-hmm. you'd have a radio. Um, and you would explore, you would change the dial and it would change the genre of what you're listening to. And that was really the only way you got anything, right? I mean, if it wasn't TV, it was radio. You get in the car, it was radio or a track or cassette or whatever, you know, (laughs) but I don't think younger generations are experiencing music in the same way. They can't because... You know, you could get into a new car and and just listen to comedy or just listen to this or that. Like, you don't have to be exposed to music if you if you don't seek it out. You have to find it now. And a lot of the music, you know, or the popular music, let's say, is connected to a video aspect. So there's it's just there's a different relationship to music now. Whereas I agree with you, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, forever, Hmm. you know, it was discovering music it was it was because there wasn't anything else you know mm-hmm. and i'm mm-hmm. so grateful that we had downtime we were bored we, it's like well what are we gonna do i don't know let's listen to the radio what's on you know and and you know i don't i just don't know if uh people consume music the same way well, that's a great point that's a great point i um i don't honestly know why i ended up at um I think that was the rhythm room when I first mm-hmm. saw you mm-hmm. playing Worth the Fight. Yeah, Worth the Fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what brought me out there. Yeah. But something told me, let's go to the Nash tonight. Yeah. And, or, you know what? I think I do know now that I think about it. Were somehow you I got to your CD. Or something or? No. 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 Yeah, yeah, uh-uh. yeah. No players in the band that you knew. That's what I was trying to figure out. No. Huh. And, was Todd Shuba playing with you then? He was playing percussion. At that point, maybe. Florio, Lamar. Oh, Adam. it was Florio. Yeah. Okay. It was so Mike. maybe a bunch of cats that you knew, you know, just yeah, from just various. Other gigs. Yeah. 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 But I also think somehow I may have had your CD first. Mm. 
maybe i don't know that's but awesome. however i got there yeah i was i i knew what i was listening to that's why i was thinking i might have had your your cd already because i was kind of skeptical of whether my wife would like it okay and especially after the concert was over and, and i was surprised she's like that was nice <laughs> That was really nice. Not her style of music, really, at right? all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and she was she was pleasantly surprised, which well, okay. made me happy. Right, right. <laughs> Score. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I appreciate the fact that I discovered you, just like dialing through the radio. Right, you know, it's right, like, right. oh, what's that? Yeah. And 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 like you said, they don't get cds anymore so they're not going and picking up cds however you can go download it immediately on your amazon music right so that to me is exciting as soon as i hear something i can have it because I've, right. I've got the premium right and, right. and, and that's very cool but, but that but but again you know i i think you know you and i were coming from a generation where that's we sought out music like mm-hmm. it, you know it we start when you once you start to dig, like like my band alone, incredible players. And you said, "Well, who's that?" And then you realize that there's so many CDs behind that player doing their own thing. Like you can spend a week exploring the music from every band person, you know, band member on stage. And that and I don't know if that's what people do anymore. You know, yeah, and they don't listen long enough. <laughs> well, I mean, making a record. Let's talk about that. I, do you are we just making singles now are we making a record are we pressing a maybe making a cd i mean heaven forbid are we making vinyl i mean what are we like what is the medium i don't i don't know i but you know i don't want to let that stop the thing yeah but but that's also the gajillion dollar question is like well how do you now that you have this great music music that you're proud of uh how do you share it in a way that respects the process respects the intention and and hits the listeners that you think are out there i mean that's that's what everyone's trying to figure out right and and that thought um anybody playing contemporary jazz the stations have all gone right so where do you listen to that obviously you can find it on you know sirius xm and Mm. and get those categories and knock out straight ahead jazz if you want contemporary jazz or reggae or whatever you want but if you just want to come and not work it and maybe that's the problem maybe we have to work too hard (laughs) to hear what we want to hear sometimes well the problem is there is no one place like again the radio was the one place where you went and you might not have known you know where the jazz station was on the dial but you would find it because mm-hmm. that that was your experience. You had to search through it analog style. You couldn't skip around. You just had to say, oh, what can we right. pick up here? Uh, you know, and maybe, you know, you pick up something from Hartford, Connecticut. You know, I grew up about 45 minutes north of Hartford. And I was like, oh, there's a Grateful Dead thing on Sundays. Remember that. Mm-hmm. that. And then you can maybe pick up Boston, but that's a little farther. And maybe you could pick up Albany and you're just it was exploratory. There were no easy, you had to look for it. You had Mm -hmm. to intentionally find this music. And now you can just be like, I want house music 24 seven. Yeah. You got seven stations that, that will just feed you that. And anyway, I, I think that the whole process of discovery is kind of gone unless you 
unless it lives inside of you, unless you're like, where can I find this stuff? Um, but it was built in. It was built into the mechanics of how he experienced it before. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I'm liking the fact that I'm doing a podcast because those are discovery types of uh, that's a discovery type of uh, I don't know what you call it, a venue or whatever you want to call medium. it. Medium. Yeah. Yes. That's a discovery type of medium because people are going to listen to this podcast and go, hey, I like that. Mm-hmm. So let's hear some more of that. Right. right. <laughs> like right now. <laughs> Let them hear what it is that they're about to discover. <clears throat> well, um, maybe I'll, I'll give you a taste of a, of a pandemic project. Um, I, I failed to mention... Um, the influence that uh, Steely Dan had on me. Um, I was uh, hold that hold that question. Okay, hold that question. I've got oh. that right here. Oh, well, I was going to play a, a tune from that from that thing, but should I wait or? Oh, no, I'll ask now. Okay, yes. unless this is going to be what you're going to play. But I did notice on one of your CDs you have a cover of Doctor Wu. Oh gosh, yeah. And when yeah. I heard that for the first time, that whole CD, that whole set of Steely Dan, somebody from college turned me on to that. Yeah. So that's another discovery method. People, yeah, exactly. Friends. And, yeah. And I was kind of shocked that you that I was getting Dr. Wu out of you. I'm like, yeah. oh, that is nice. <laughs> so tell me about Steely Dan and well, it's just, impressions. It's one of those. It's one of those bands. Um, you know the, the the record that that you know you can look back at and and see how it changed your taste and what you were trying to make and and I got Steely Dan Gold. I don't know if it was through my middle brother or through my uncle, um, but someone had the tape and it was just the hippest thing mm. I had ever heard. <laughs> right <clears throat> and. Um, and then, you know, you go to the record store and you're like, well, oh, Steely Dan. Oh, they also did this thing called Gaucho. Mm-hmm. I might want to get that. Mm-hmm. Oh, they also did this thing you know, called Can't Buy a Thrill. I'm, I'm, well, I'm going to need this now. <laughs> and you couldn't preview. No, you couldn't. You, you just, just bought it sight unseen and hoping that it was cool. Yeah. And, and that was one of the bands um, where I was never disappointed. And, and you can really hear, um, I equated to a band like uh, Radiohead, how a band can start with a sound and every record changes, you know, whether it's genre or production value increases mm-hmm. or their awareness and they get different players in, you follow the trajectory of this band over their over their uh, career. And, you know, I, I kind of found them, obviously I'm born in mid 70s, so I found them and they weren't touring anymore. Like mm-hmm. they were done touring. They hadn't made a record in a minute. And so all I had were these tapes, you know, Mm -hmm. and I just, that was constant and constant from their first record to, to Gaucho and Asia. Mm. Like I just, that was it. And obviously super stoked when they were like, well, we're going to tour again. And then I got alive in America, the CD. And now, so you can see, like, you know, through over the course of time, it went from tapes to CDs and whatever, or vinyl yeah. to tapes to CDs. And, DVDs. Uh, I was so, yeah. I was so stoked. And I've now seen them a, a number of times. And, mm, and it's just, lucky you. Yeah. 
Yeah, I saw him with Walter, and I've seen him without Walter, and and it's just you know, it's just I feel like it's my music. You know? mm. It's like that defines me more than anything, any other band. That that aesthetic, that approach, space, intention, melody, instrumentation, groove, lyrics, like, yeah, lyrics, like, and that's the thing about that's the thing that's funny you bring up lyrics because <laughs> they taught me a couple things and things that I still employ in in my, in when i'm writing drop a location like pick a location something that 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 takes the listener to a specific place geographically and then also put a name in it because that also adds intrigue because you mm. you invariably know a sarah or a diane or a whatever mm-hmm. and and those little tricks those lyrical tricks have stayed with me and i'm like it's just so effective in drawing the listener into a specific thing, whether it was the intention of, of that lyric to, to, you know, like, I don't even know how to describe it. But anyway, everyone has an experience at a specific location with a specific person. And it just mines it a little bit. It makes it a little bit more, I don't know, real, or it allows the listener to attach to it. It's not so vague. It's like, man, I... I, I did know a Sarah in a little town outside of Chicago or whatever it is, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, and it helps you envision it. Right. Exactly. You had one in a penthouse that you penthouse did. In Denver. Yeah. That was, it did the same thing. I understand now why I like you so much. <laughs> <laughs> if you're taking those lessons <laughs> from well, uh, them, cause they changed the way I listen to music. Yeah. Um, when when shout out to Bill King the third. If you ever pick this podcast up, I hope you know you were the one that hooked me into Damn. Steely Dan. That's totally. that's that's uh, that's high praise. Yeah. So let's see. <clears throat> so what are we gonna hear? Kitty tried. I was halfway crucified. I was on the other side of no tomorrow. Whoa. You walked in, and my life began again. Just when I spent the last piece I could borrow. All night long. Sing that stupid song And every word we sang I knew was true Are you with me, Doctor Wu? Are you really just a shadow Of a man that I once knew? Are you crazy? Are you high? Just an ordinary guy Have you done all you can do? Are you with me, doctor? Anyway, it's one of my, it's one of my favorite tunes. And you can hear you hear all the all the bits that I was just talking, like lyrically, you know, Katie and 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 
And, and words that like, what's a piaster? And like, where's Biscayne Bay? And right. like, all these little, you know, these little lyrical tricks that, that I try to, to, to use, you know, because they, they nailed it. And it's like, bro, I have no idea what they're singing about. I don't know who <laughs> is doing what anymore, but I want to know more. You yeah. Know? And I, yeah. and then, you know, and then. 40 years later you're still trying to figure it out yeah well they've got some some serious songs out now gothic uh uh oh from uh two against nature two against nature yeah what that is it gothic CD? girl or or uh yeah uh yeah that's something that, like that i yeah. think it's gothic girl but that, then that record is is incredible too and and it but it they 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 still do that same thing and, mm-hmm. and that's creating intrigue and they're not scared to groove. Like I learned the outro from Steely Dan. Mm-hmm. You know, like I learned the concept of all right, at the end of the song, we've 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 said our thing, we've had our solos, and let's just groove. Hmm, interesting concept, you know. <laughs> right. And the thing out, you know, the whole thing. Yeah, man. I mean they, they they've been informing my music um since i don't know the mid 80s you know yeah thank goodness yeah <laughs> that's why i'm thinking i think i heard well before well before i go to that i'll just um i want to talk about some of your projects yeah because you've got some like i said some some serious heavyweights yeah in personnel you're not you're not running around playing all this stuff solo no thank god <laughs> I would be ter- I would be bored of it, and no one would listen. Uh, I'm so I'm so I'd, I'd listen. I'm I'm thankful that you're going to bring this up because I I might be the the luckiest guy in town as far as um, incredible band members and friends. You know now I can I can call them friends, and I've been able to tour the country with them and tour in Europe with some of them, and and really to have that squad um, locally has really completely changed. Um, how I write and, and, and the ceiling it's, it's raised the ceiling of what I can do. Mm. Um, but anyway, yeah, sorry. Sorry to cut you. No, no, you're, you're good. You, you transition, transitioned right into that. Let's go ahead and talk about the project. Okay. Five piece band. You can name names if you want. It's okay. Well, I, I will, I will tell you that, that that band would not be a thing were it not for Mike Florio. And, I met Mike, um, I think in 2000 and maybe eight or nine. Mm. And he was running a club called Voce Lounge in Mm -hmm. Scottsdale. Mm -hmm. And so this is right after the recession. And, and I, I was a part-time singer songwriter and I was a part-time waiter. Right. And the recession hits and I go into work on a Friday and the restaurant had closed and so I went home and I thought, well, I can either find another wait gig, you know, waiting gig, serving gig, uh, or I can just pick up a couple more gigs during the week and maybe do, you know, five or six gigs, um, in arguably one of the worst times hmm. in our whatever modern mm-hmm. history. So, but that made more sense to me than going to wait tables because I, I hated it and I was really bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I don't care what you want to eat. I want to go home. You know, like that kind of thing. I was, I was bad. And, so, and for the listeners, Mike Florio is like one of the tastiest drummers you are ever going to come across. Right. 
Right. So, so, and, and, you know, and it was Mike and, and Connie, who was an incredible singer and they had this club uh, called Voce Lounge. And, and that's where a bunch of, you know, kind of heavies, local heavies, but also international folks who come through like Gad, like mm. would be there. Or George Benson would be sitting at the bar or a Joey Francesco, or, I mean, just incredible. It had a vibe. And, and so in this process of me trying to figure out, well, I could go find another uh, serving gig, but I don't want to do that. So let's just go on the internet and see what other venues are, are hiring local musicians. And I, and I came, went to the Voce website and, and it was very intimidating because the, like the big picture when you get to the website is like, there's like a Lamborghini and like a Ferrari parked out front. And I'm like, I have no business being here at yeah. all. Like I'm way, I'm shoot I'm like, way above my head on this, but I was just desperate. And I emailed Mike um, maybe on a Monday or a Sunday. And to my surprise, because I had been doing this now for weeks, just trying to get more work and no one's replying and mm-hmm. no one cares about you. And <laughs> you're like, great. Mike replies and says, I, I went out, not only did I listen to, I found some of your music. I see, I went to your website. I see that you're playing at this spot. It's one of my favorite spots. It, it was, um, my florist, which was downtown 7th Ave in McDowell. Really cool, vibey spot. Mm. And he's like, I'll be there tomorrow. I see you're playing there tomorrow. And I'm like, oh my God, what, I, what am I gonna play? I don't know, you know, I'm, now I'm nervous, you know, and I, I never met him and I just did my thing. And what, was, was that solo? It was solo, okay. yeah. And I had just finished a record, um, kind of half covers, half originals called uh, Sleeping With Giants. And so it was like, a Lauren Hill tune, a Justin Timberlake tune, uh, a Billy Joel tune, and then some of my own stuff. Just real, real basic bits, you know. Um, and so I got up and I did whatever I knew at that time, which was maybe, maybe I had 30 songs, you know, some original and some covers. And I walk up to the bar after my set and I'm like, you must be Mike, you know. I mean, he kind of sticks out of in, in, yeah, out, you yeah. know, in his way. And, um, and he's like, yeah, man, and I'd love to have you. And I was like, oh, my God, this would be incredible. And so anyway, it kind of snowballed, starting playing solo acoustic at Voce. And then, like, you know, Marion Meadows would be the next night. And then Connie would be the next night. And I'm like, what am I doing here? I have absolutely no business being here. Uh, but then, you know, he's like, hey, do you mind if I sit in, you know? And I'm like, well, it's odd. I, I was apprehensive because we had never had a rehearsal. And I was at that, you know, I was like, well, we need to really know the tune, man, you know. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he just does his thing and it's incredible. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's awesome. And then he's like, you know, next week, maybe we should have Mel, you know, join us. And I'm like, well, who, you know, who is Mel? Mel Brown, you know. He's like, well, do we need a rehearsal? He's like, bro, we do not need a rehearsal. I think he's going to be fine. <laughs> And same thing. I was like, oh, my God, this trio, it's just so much fun. It's incredible. Like, and then it just kind of grew. And that, and that's how I met Todd. And he would just come in after his gig, bring his percussion. That's how I met Lamar Gaines. Mm. And that's how I met Adam Armijo. And before I knew it, I had like, you know, a five, six piece band playing it at this incredible venue. My original music, I, I was like, this is the strangest thing but that, you know, so anyway, without, without that whole experience and Mike's vision, I mean, he had a vision. I, I, you know, he could hear something that I couldn't even hear. And, um, 
and then that kind of set us off this thing. And, and, um, the, the project has kind of evolved over time as it does when people do other things and go out of town or whatever. And so now it's, it's, uh, you know, Mario Mendeville on bass, mm. an incredible bass player and yes. such a sweetheart. Yeah. Tachu was now in the drum chair. Um, LG Lamar is mm. on keys and Adam Armijo on guitar. And then me d doing dumb cowboy chords and singing my weird songs. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, it's a real... It's you a, stop putting yourself down, well, man. I Your mean, stuff is great. Compared to what they do, it's like, it's like a foreign language to me. So I just, I get, I play my G, you know, I play my <laughs> D chord. Maybe I'll sprinkle in a major seven in there just to keep it spicy. No, but they're, I mean, you know, anyway... It was really Mike that, that introduced me to that whole crew, and, and I've been making music with them mm -hmm. uh, for a very long time, so I'm very fortunate. Yeah, and I think that's where I first saw you. Mm -hmm. uh, Adam, the guitar, he's, mm -hmm. he's, <laughs> he's pretty hot there. I mean, it's otherworldly. Uh, really. I mean, all those guys, though, too. Yeah, so I know. Uh, Lamar, all I, of them. I, 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 Mel. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, an, it's, you know, it's like the, the best of the best in this town, and... and and they're my friends, you know, and we get to make music together. And, and it's just really, it's super satisfying on a number of levels. And I'm yeah. very grateful that, that, um, that, that we all cross paths and, and we still make music together. Well, before I move on to live from Laurel Canyon, mm. I want you to play one of your songs. Okay. So we also know that Brian Chartrand belongs at Voce. <laughs> which I know doesn't exist anymore, but well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the one that, that, uh, Mike, uh, Florio kills on the record. It's a song called worth the fight. And it, it has this, <clears throat> well, you hear it, but it, you can maybe hear how he would do his thing to it and just grease it up and, and give it the groove that it needed. So, it, I mean, it was like this, you know, it's like, room for pocket anyway the song mm -hmm. goes like this my love dry your eyes for me my love run off things to say if not the one is right just a waste of time Is this love worth the fight? Is right 
waste of time Is this love worth the fight? Maybe something like that. I remember that uh, <clears throat> that groove. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah. Um, Florio's just mm-hmm. on that high hat. Yeah. Tasty. He knows what to put where and how to do it. Right. He's not one of those bombastic loud drummers. No, no, no. It's all feel. It's all. And he does. He has this. He has this style of playing that. Uh, it just whatever pocket you think you had, you add Mike Florio and the pocket doubles. Mm. Like, how is that even possible? <laughs> He's just, yeah. It, it's like he plays like he lives. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's like he's just the cool. Right. <laughs> he walk up to him's like, "Hey, man." Yeah, yeah. You yeah. can barely hear him. Hey, right. Man. <laughs> yeah, hey. right. Yeah, right. And uh, <laughs> but again, he can't do that by himself. Right. You you add to that just as much as he adds to it. Yeah. Well, I I, I think I I uh, I think I whatever you know we're talking about Steely Dan and and I. I like rec- diverse records. I like records that, that move in different ways. And it's not, you know, just singer-songwriter stuff or or, or as a country vibe. I, I like a record to do everything. Like, I, I want a funkier tune. I want a singer-songwriter tune. I want a country-ish tune. I want a broken-down tune. I want to, you know. And he's so versatile that he can give mm. all of those things time and space and add to it. Um, but, you know, the, the tunes like that, tunes that... You know, you can just naturally feel that tune four. Like he's gonna just destroy. It. <laughs> yeah, you know he is. I mean? Yeah. Yes, I you do. A car in that pocket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, live from Laurel Canyon, and I, mm. I have to say, embarrassingly enough, that I have not heard you guys live yet. Because mm. there's been times you've been at the MIM, which mm. an incredible venue, and I I haven't been able to go. Well, we're going to remedy that, Tony. <laughs> you going again? <laughs> well, we actually we, ju- we, we just did uh, three sold out shows there, uh, like a, like maybe ten days ago, end of uh, end of April. So we'll we're hopefully we'll be back doing something there, maybe in the fall. Um, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, li- so live from Laurel Canyon. Um, I had heard of Laurel Canyon. So Laurel Canyon is is a is a canyon in the Hollywood Hills in Los Angeles. And it basically, you know, connects people on Sunset Boulevard, uh, which is like, you know, where all the clubs were in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, Sunset Boulevard, that that was the hang, Hollywood. And then Laurel Canyon was a way to get over into the valley. And once you got up into Laurel Canyon, there were these, you know, kind of um, side streets, Mulholland Drive and, and it had, you know, it, it has been an artist uh, neighborhood um, since the 30s. I didn't know this at the, I didn't know this until recently, let's just put it that way. But I, um, I was, uh, it was the summer of 2012. And um, other musicians will know that, that um, music, the music industry or, or work, let's say, in Phoenix in the summer, it kind of, it lulls because uh, 
you know, the kids are gone, the snowbirds are gone and, and resorts aren't so busy and, and blah, blah, blah. And I thought I was being real clever. And I took a three month gig, uh, playing on a cruise ship. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I, I, you know, I love and hate, I loved and hated that experience. Um, but, but mainly love because I, I love to travel and we did a month in the Mediterranean, you know, from, um, Barcelona, down to Naples, uh, Italy, and then back up in Southern Spain, Portugal. And then the next two months were basically bouncing from uh, Copenhagen to St. Petersburg, Russia, up Norway. Anyway, it was, I mean, if you're, it, you know, it's a good gig. I wish I had found that thing, you know, <laughs> like t- t- 25 years ago as a young kid, I, w- I would never be, I'd be still on the boat because it's just great. And, and, you know, you're, you work an hour and a half a night and, and you have your days free and you're going to see these incredible things. And it, it kind of whipped my ass into shape a little bit because I, before that I was kind of anti cover tunes and, and they're like, well, you're going to need 300 cover tunes to do this thing. You know, and I was like, 300. I was, Woo. Like, yeah. I was like, well, I probably got 50. You know? <laughs> and she's like, listen, don't worry about it. Just give me an Excel spreadsheet of 300 cover songs and you have the gig. I'm like, all right, cool. So anyway, I shipped off and I and I went and I did it and and over the course of that three months of asking people what they want to hear and spending my days, you know, learning uh, learning a Buffalo Springfield tune or another James Taylor tune or a, or a Jackson Brown tune or Crosby Stills and Nash tune or whatever, um, and and <laughs> internet is so expensive, like you you. It was so costly as a as a uh, staff member to access the internet. So I would ask my manager, say, "Hey, I got a bunch of requests from last night. I'd love to just get online real quick, and I'm gonna print out the lyrics and I'll get out of your hair, you know." And she'd say, "All right, cool, come in." And I and I do that, and then I would just start to research very basically, like what it like. Why do I know Crosby, Stills and Nash, or why do I know Buffalo Springfield? Like I know that they're. And I was like, "Wait, Stephen Stills was a." Mm-hmm. David Crosby, but he knew that. And so I would just start to research it a little bit. And, and after the three months, you know, working on the boat and learning all these tunes and learning a little bit of, about Laurel Canyon, I came home and I bought a bunch of books on it and, and started to research and, and I got, I don't know, 10, ten books or something. And I'm, and I'm like, there are these songs that are always referenced in these books that, that were seminal moments, not only for the Canyon, but for American popular music. And it, you know, once, you know, Mr. Tambourine came out then, you know, and, and then, and then the Buffalo Springfield was the opening band for the birds. Like, wait, and then they had this song, which is like, Oh my God, for what it's worth. And then, and then I was like, there's a show there's, and I don't have, I have no background in this. I'm just a music fan. And I love storytelling as a singer songwriter. And that's, Mm something that I learned, I think from playing house concerts, because, you know, in a house concert environment, you have to be able to talk about your song in a way, stories, it's all stories. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I, it just, it just, everything fit. Like I love the music. I love the stories. And I came off the ship and I got all these books and it's like, Oh my God, half of the show was already like, I need to do half of the show. It's like, here, I got to do, 
California Dream by the Mamas and the Papas. Like that has to, and it was like that. And and I had this band, the project. And I was like, well, I'm gonna mm. talk to this band, see if they're interested. Ask Connie Cole, ask Mike Florio, get to, you know, and let's go. Like, and I wrote wrote it, researched it, wrote it, and and we started playing it in 2013. I think the Mim was one of the first places that 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 um allowed us to come in and do it and then mm. and then it's you know to whatever that mm. is many years later um we have a, a a booking agency and we're playing all over the country and i take a live from larry king trio to europe and so it's really kind of like it's this thing that's bigger than me now and it's like it these super strange again humble strange random things that happen and you and I'm just so glad I, I grasped at it because it, it could be gone, you know. Mm -hmm. And I guess one one thing, um, no, there are no bad ideas, right? Um, the only bad idea is an idea that you don't execute to see what it brings back, you know. Right. So take chances, do things that, that you are uncomfortable with, explore things that you don't understand, spend the time, do the research, have the right crew, believe in it, love it, because it's not going to happen if you don't have those things. So anyway, yeah, yeah Live from McCain, it's been, it's been busy this year is busy played all over the country already. And we're still, we got dates in the summer and the fall and we're booking next spring and so, yeah, it's yeah. taken on a life of its own, man. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to see this one. Yeah, you will. Especially at that venue. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. so well. Yeah. Love that space. Yeah. All right. How are we doing on time? Tell me about the Sweet Remains. Sweet Remains. Uh, let's see. Um um, Sweet Remains is, is three singer-songwriters. It's Greg Naughton, uh, Rich Price, and myself. And I met Rich in 2000 and, gosh, must have been 2000 and, when did we make our record? Eight, so maybe met him in six, 2006. He was living in Los Angeles. I had recently moved there. And this is back in the MySpace days. And... Um, <laughs> My friend Mark had a music blog where maybe it was once a week he would feature kind of two indie artists and he put myself and Rich on the same blog. And um, and so that's how kind of we became aware of what the other person was doing. And so we mess we started messaging on MySpace, hey man, I love your music. Like you're in Los Angeles, I'm in Phoenix, like let's let's work out some shows. 2006 yeah, or something like that. And, and uh, we're fired up because we share a lot of the same influences and, and, and love of a, Simon and Garfunkel, Harmony, Crosby, Stills and Nash. And, and, and his writing is, is adjacent to mine genre wise. And man, we could really do something. And he had this, he's an incredibly talented guitar player. He's like the capo wizard. So you're doing something open and he'll capo seven and do these different inversions. So it sounds so full and it's like, man, this, and he's just great army singer. So man, let's do something. Let's put a tour together. So we put a tour together, 2007, uh, across the country. It was going to go down the Eastern seaboard 
and then back to Los Angeles ultimately. Um, and uh, one night into that tour in 2000, I believe in seven, he gets like deathly ill. He has like pneumonia and he turns green and he's in the back of the 15 passenger van. Mm. And as a result, I learn all his tunes. So now not only I know the harmony, I know the melody, I know how to you know play it. And um, he obviously gets better, but by the time he's better, I know his catalog basically. Mm -hmm. He now knows mine. And um, he's old friends with this other singer-songwriter, Greg Naughton, uh, who was based on the East Coast. And so we were making our way that way in 2007 on this little tour in this 15-passenger van. And um, Rich calls Greg and says, hey, we have a couple New England shows. You're right there. Let's. I think you'll dig this. I think you'll fit right in. And sure, shit, that's what happened. Um, we get out there right before a gig and and like well what do you know what do you know do we know any covers like what you know we had no idea what we were doing and we just kind of fumbled through it but we were all just like wow our our natural inclination for harmony it's like perfect because i understand the third greggy's has a higher you know like a true tenor so he does the highs or he'll do the fifth below and you know and so there was just this natural harmonic chemistry um yeah and then and then we made a record at the base of Laurel Canyon. This is this is well before uh, live from Laurel Canyon started. But we cut a record at Laurel and Sunset, um, which is where Rich's apartment was in Los Angeles, and it was super lo-fi. We had two microphones. We had a vocal mic and a and a condenser for the guitars. We had friends come over uh, to play cajon or to do something. You know, shake the, shake the shaker and 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 tap on that you know it was like super lo-fi mm -hmm. um but that record you know has gone on to have over i think it's close to 50 million spins on spotify wow when the name of that is uh it's called laurel and sunset there you go <laughs> and uh yeah it's it's our first record it came out in 2008 and um yeah it just has this charm to it and lo-fi we i live i slept on an air mattress in his <laughs> one bedroom apartment in in his living room and he'd wake up put the kettle on for tea and i'd kind of get up and adjust the mic and we'd just go and we'd, we'd probably put in at least 15 hours a day for that week and we we put i don't know 12 songs together and nice and ever since the same shit i mean we 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 tour the states we have a booking agent and and we play nice performing art centers we we play the mem you know so there's there's a bunch of good stuff happening and I've been very fortunate to find my tribe, you know, yeah, find my people. No doubt. Yeah. Um so let's finish this off with what is your what does music the bed of life mean to you? Hmm. What does that mean to me? Well, I, I will tell you this. Um I'm so glad I found it. I'm just I I I'm so glad I I found music. Uh, it sounds super corny and but it it has been it is the w one constant thread in my life. Whether I'm listening to it and enjoying it as a consumer or making it on on a stage or in the studio, um, it's the one thing yeah it's hard to say it's like is it the is it an escape 
or is it or is it the exact opposite is it me being exactly present and i don't i don't know the answer to that but i guess i would say that you know well first of all i agree with that sentiment and i'm just glad i found it it saved me in a thousand ways and um you know actually one of the reasons why i live in phoenix was i didn't want to play music anymore i i was really fed up and i was 27 years old i was living in my parents house and i was broke because i was trying to make a living as a performing musician in, in new england and it just wasn't happening and so i said well my girlfriend at the time is moving out here let's try it you know and uh, I came out specifically to not play music. And, and what happens, like, literally a month in, I start a new band. Everything, you know, I start writing songs that I'm, that I'm like, really proud of. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's one of those things, man. It's, it's, gosh, if it isn't one of, if it isn't in my soul or something, it's one of the fibers that, that, that makes me me, for better or for worse. And, and I, you know, I, I have a love and hate relationship with it um i love it to bits and, and it frustrates me to no end so <laughs> it you know it's it's the but it's the it's the one relationship that i've had you know for 47 years so that's saying something i guess as i'll tell you when i'm sitting here watching you talk about it i can just see the passion that you have for the music that you produce that you hear that has taught you that still teaches you yeah and i'm just i'm just so glad to have had this chat with you brian uh, i My appreciate pleasure. it so much hey as a as a as a fellow podcaster uh i i i i love these conversations and um just finding finding the nuggets you know and and little reminders small reminders and and uh, you have a great little studio here, and I and I enjoyed working with you recently on your tune. I can't wait to hear it, and and uh, appreciate appreciate you having me. Thank you. Do you want to play something instrumental, and we'll just take that out? <sighs> you know what can we do here? What have I done? Let's see. Did Missy now? Did Worth the Fight? I did. Uh, <clears throat> well, this is. You want instrumental for sure, or can I sing a little bit? Sing if okay. you want. Well, this is one of my favorite obscure Steely Dan tunes, and if and if anyone wants to hear it, it's um, I put two EPs out um, during the pandemic. It was like passion project, home studio projects, and and I got to put you know a lot of great players behind it, and because um, we were all looking for something to do, and this is one of my favorite. Um, kind of obscure Steely Dan tunes, and and, and the, so that it's called uh, uh, what is it called? It's called uh, Home at Last. Mm, That's the name yes, of the Home at Last Volume One, Home at Last Volume Two, um, and this is uh, <clears throat> and it's and it's mainly uh, obscure Steely stuff. So if you're not into it, I, I don't know, you know. But anyway, this this is um, this is one of those tunes too that you're like, what I, what is he talking about? I wish I knew. But I just love the changes, so it's like... I hear you are singing a song of the past I see no tears I know that you know it may be the last For many years You gamble or give anything 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode. You can find Brian's discography and podcast info at www.brianchartrand.com. For more information about this episode and past episodes, go to www.musicthebedoflife.com. Please like, share, and follow to stay informed of new episodes. Join your host, Anthony V. Simuel, on the next quest to discover how music plays such an important part of our lives and the many individuals responsible for making it happen. Will you still be singing in on that cold and windy?